0: welcome to episode 33 of board game impact in this episode josh and i are going to be talking about a bunch of games because of some of the stuff we were talking about last week let's get all the games now um so stay tuned for that plus some other hobby news welcome to board game impact this is bruce
1: and this is josh
0: and we are your hosts. So if you are just turning into board game impact, we are combining our educational lenses. So we both work in higher education um, to hopefully break down gaming experiences that we're having to benefit you and your gaming group. And if this is not your first time listening, welcome back. Um, so if this is not your first time listening, I want to give you a quick life update. Um, I know we talked about a lot of things in the world in the last episode, but um, this is more personal. So I found out that I passed my qualifying exam. I know I talked about it on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, and um, with that being said, Josh, we also have some new equipment here going on as well. Um, and so I can do things like this. I'm not going to do that please, often. I'm not going to do don't. that again. I won't do that again. <laughs> listeners, um, <laughs> listeners, as you know, uh, if you're on the Facebook, um, or on the Patreon, you know, that I was able to get some new equipment. Sadly, the old mixing board that we were using for this podcast kind of died, um, for lack of a better word. And so with that being said, I was able to get a Rodecaster pro, which is now where we're doing everything out of, it's kind of the one stop shop for podcasting. If you want to talk more about that, shoot me a message. It's really cool. But also I've got a Canon M50, which Josh and I'm actually using as a webcam right now as Josh and I are talking. But it records in 4k and also really, really nice 1080p. And so I've been making some live streams over on the Facebook. So make sure to go on over there. Um, I've been posting about those in the Patreons that we know they're coming up. Um, And in that in one of the most recent ones, I actually talked about one of the books that I got in the mail. So I got Your Move, uh, What Board Games Teach Us About Life by Joan Moriarty and Jonathan Kay. Uh, what's really interesting about this is Joan Moriarty is one of the owners of Snakes and Lattes. And so I'm about halfway through the book and they're talking about different gaming experiences. And I want to just point out one thing that I found in here. Josh did not know I was talking about this. So Josh the, this is actually one chapter five. It's chapter is called cures for pandemics and alpha players. Okay. Not timely at all. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, right. So they're talking about the universal rules to board gaming. Okay. And the kind of the unwritten, when you sit down and play with friends, there's three rules. One is that you're agreeing to abide by the rules of the game as you understand them and that you're not going to cheat. Okay. Okay. Rule two, that you agree to take the game seriously enough to make a sincere effort to win, no throwing the game. So yeah. you're gonna you're gonna try. You're gonna give a shit, to be honest. Um, and rule three is I agree to not take the game so seriously that it'll affect my real life relationships with my fellow players. No behaving like a jerk. And they didn't say jerk. <laughs> Um, uh, sure. Yeah. So the book's really good. It goes into, well, how do you not take the game serious, but take the game serious at the same time and where an alpha player can live within that. That's just one chapter of many that I've been reading. So, um, it's been really good. I'll, I'm going to talk about it on like Facebook and on the Patreon. So if you want to hear about my overall thoughts, when I finish the book, hop on over there. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of fun, Josh, but before that we...
1: sounds uh real interesting I'm gonna have to give that one a, a, a look and see if I can uh, find some time to to go through it it's um, definitely something you know it's interesting you you bring up that topic that's actually a conversation that came up at board game night last night really of, um, you know we we were just in the middle of midst of a game that people weren't really into and we're just kind of sloughing off with it and not really paying a whole lot of attention. And we Ouch. finally just got to the point of saying, you know, looking around the table and be like, is anyone really enjoying this game?
0: Yeah. Like a are done um, here.
1: <laughs> yeah. Like, and and just kind of coming to the conclusion that like, and we ultimately played it out because there were two turns left by the time we got to that point. But, you know, we had a nice conversation about, uh, you know, if no one at the table is having fun with the game. There are other games right to be played, um, and and there's your lack of enjoyment in a game should not mean that you um, you know tap out of game night and and you know pack up your things and go home and um, really wanting to kind of refocus our game group on you know really being invested in the games that we're playing. So yeah, that's, that's a really interesting topic. And yeah, that's Bruce, some I timing. Just Um, circle back and and I don't want to breeze over the the QE um, part here. Uh, I I just want to say congratulations once again. Um, And I I know that the listeners will share me in or join with me in um, that congratulations. And that's that's a a big milestone. and, And I know you put in a lot of work. We haven't been able to sit down and record together in some time. And so that's part of that. So Um, congratulations.
0: Thank you. And so listeners, if you're curious what it meant. So I wrote a 19 page paper fully cited in about three hours with no external help. Um, No, no notes, no nothing. Um, And my topic was on managing a multi-generational workforce. So if you're interested in reading that, I'll gladly send it to you. Just shoot me an email boardgameimpact at gmail.com. But what this means for me is now in my PhD program, I can make a committee and start working towards my dissertation and planning out my topic and do all that kinds of stuff. So it's a big, big deal for that. Um, but I'm excited to finally be back talking with you, Josh, um, for this. I know we talked in the last episode, but it's different now that I'm kind of in the clear, um, at least within the PhD life. Um, that being said, there's some board game news that I think we should talk about. And then we're going to dig into a whole bunch of games, if that's okay with you.
1: Absolutely. Let's
0: get at it. Okay. Josh, I put this in the show notes and you're like, what is this? And I, I told you, I don't want you to look at it. I want you to have a raw reaction. Um, so the first one you knew about, you did mention that. So this is some updates with asthma Um, so asthma is a worldwide company. Um, but there's a branch asthma North America. They have a ton of different studios under them. So like Catan, um, pandemic, like all those games and many, many more are all under the asthma brand as well as like all the fantasy flight games. Um, they updated their parts replacement process so for a lot of game companies you can hey this game is missing these things and so now if you are missing a thing in your game or the defective um and you opened it like new and shrink you now take that and the receipt back to whatever store you got it from and then wait on asmodee to send them the replacement and give it to you so it's not direct to you anymore Um, you knew about this one i knew about this one to be honest I know people have feelings on this, but I also remember the fact of like every other industry, like that's how it works. If you got a defective product, you took it back to the store. Like you didn't look at what companies on the box, if that makes sense. Um, So it's just as companies get bigger, like it need to use your supply chain a little bit more. Um, But the real reason I wanted to, I didn't want to focus in on this one. I wanted to focus in on the next two. Um, So first of all, Asmodee has had a sole distribution license with Alliance menu, Alliance Distributors in the U.S. So all the games in their portfolio had to go through Alliance. That contract ends in June of this year. Effect and they just announced effective July first, Asmodee will be its own sole distributor. So they have complete vertical integ- integration from design to production to distribution. Yeah.
1: Interesting. Yeah. Um. Wow, I'm going to click into this article and, and yeah. do a little bit more looking because that.
0: so. The next article, the next thing I'm going to talk about is the one with the link. Mm-hmm. And so, Asmodee has had for a long time, and many other companies have this too. It's called a minimum advertised price map policy. Mm-hmm. Asmodee just announced, and this is effective March 10th, um, announces a pricing change on all of their exclusive lines, so the things that are Asmodee owned. And so MAP means that you have to advertise it. You can't advertise it um, a discount of more than like 10 to 20% on a game's MSRP from their line. Um, You can't directly advertise that. Um, That being said, though, they're showing a MSRP increase. And so the reason I wanted to bring this up is for our listeners. If any of these games are of interest to you or your friends, I recommend going and buying them in the next month um, because all of their exclusive games, pretty much all of them, are having a ten percent, uh, not ten percent, but a increase in their price effective April thirtieth. So if you're listening to this before April thirtieth, you've got the old, uh, the current MSRP. Apri- after April thirtieth, or if you wait to buy these games, it's going to be a higher MSRP. So for example, Catan. Sells for $49 MSRP. It's going up to $55. Pandemic, $39.99. It's going up to uh, $44.99. Seven Wonders, Tickets of Rides, Star Wars Legion, um, Splendor, Patchwork, Pandemic, Legacies, Mysterium, Dixit, Concept, all the other Catan expansions, the Carcassonne games, Captain Sonar, etc. So Yeah.
1: So, you know, I've been wondering for a while about if we would see something happen with Asmodee. So, um, for listeners who aren't really um, as invested in the the business behind the hobby, um, Asmodee actually was um, purchased by a new um, group. Um, they're they're managed by a new Um, I'm drawing holding company, essentially. Yeah. Holding company, financial institution, um, and have been for about a a year, a year now. Yeah. About
0: a year. They Um, sold for like 7 billion.
1: Yeah. And, And so it's not surprising to see that there are some changes to their models. Um, especially with these price increases, some of these, I think, could be argued that they make sense. Um, other ones, less so. Right. Uh, but you're you're looking at roughly a ten to twenty percent increase on some of these. You know, the reason I say it makes sense, right, is you have some of these games like Seven Wonders, uh, Duel that came out a while back. Um, those MSRP at about thirty dollars, which is pretty good. But when you look around at other at the market. They could be making more on it, and yeah. so so a five dollar increase on that game doesn't seem to make or break that decision. But it is interesting that they did a sweeping across the board decision like that. Um, the The sole distributor piece is is really interesting to me, and I'm not sure. Now I'm not a business person by any stretch of the imagination um, I'm in higher education for a reason but <laughs> I I'm I'm intrigued by that decision and why they would choose to go that route it
0: doesn't seem to be yeah cuz like I looked up distribution prices through Alliance for Asthma mm-hmm. day products and depending on how much product you're turning over from them or ordering in a quarterly basis changes Mm -hmm. the um with alliance would change the distribution cost like at cost that like a board game um like your friendly local game store would pay so sure how much product they can move would then influence how much closer to msrp or further away from msrp that they'd be paying um, but also with everything we talked about in the last episode, there's also a supply chain with this. And so there's a decreased supply, which guess what happens? An increased demand, right? Um, mm-hmm. Or demand remains the same, but supply goes down, price most likely goes up. So time will tell how all this kind of affects things. Now remember, those are the minimum advertised prices um, that they have to work with. So s- some people might still sell them for what they're selling for now. So sure. it's just what they're listing as MSRP. So it's take it for what it is. Um, but with that, let's actually talk about some fun games. How about that?
1: Yeah, that sounds great.
0: <laughs> okay, so uh, what's a fun game you've been playing lately?
1: So, Riz, I want to jump back to oh. um, one of our earliest episodes here. Yeah. Um, our earliest episodes this year in 2020, when we talked about the games that that we've been wanting to play that are um, that we had gotten over the holidays. And I talked at that point about...
0: About the fact uh, that you I, hadn't played any,
1: I hadn't played in. Well, Bruce, I've played some.
0: <laughs> Yay, <laughs> listeners! He um, <you> followed through. He <laughs> always it, does, but you never know when. It took why.
1: me almost <laughs> three months, but I did
0: it. Awesome. Um, what did you play?
1: And so I played Sorcerer City, uh, published by Druid City Games. Uh, and Sorcerer City came out right around the holidays. It wasn't technically a gift. It was a Kickstarter that just happened to come in around that time and so sorcerer city is a game in which you take on the role of a sorcerer who is competing for um prestige in their in sorcerer city and the way you are doing that is by building and rebuilding your district of the city every year trying to orient it in a better way that is going to attract more economy or um, give you more uh, raw magical power or different ways in which you're scoring. So this is a deck building uh, game in which your deck is actually a stack of tiles. And each round, as you add to that deck, you are going to reshuffle them. And in two minutes... Um, Each round is two minutes. It's a real-time game in which you are going to then take your stack of tiles and flip them over one at a time and place them into your city and build these um, districts, which will ultimately score at the end of the round and earn you points, which will allow you to buy new tiles to get put into your stack, so that the next time you build it, you can build an even better district and so on and so on for five rounds. At the end of five rounds, um, whoever has scored the most points will win. Um, now, the really interesting and challenging part about this is that in addition to the tiles you're buying between rounds you are forced to take a monster tile each round and a monster tile when it comes up will do something to damage your city for example of course yeah your dragon will destroy the tile next to it um your uh genie will force you to move uh, your monsters on top of other tiles that you've already played. So you cover up the districts that you have and it will disrupt the flow of your city. Um, this is a really, really good game. I think in terms of a, a quick paced, um, you know, thoughtful, uh, deck builder. Um, I really enjoyed this. Uh, I played this with my wife and one of her friends who was in town and they both really enjoyed it. Uh, I think this is fantastic. I will say the biggest challenge to this game is those monster tiles. Um, each monster tile does something different and because it is real time, you're trying to oh, remember. It's real time. Okay what does this tile do when it comes out does it trigger now or does it trigger at the end and how does that work and so as you're trying to build your city um, you really need to know what those monsters that are in your stack do Um, otherwise it can really throw off your plans but sorcerer city great little game um not really little pretty big game great game really really recommend it um i can't wait to get this one back with with some more players at the table and see how other people feel about it
0: yeah so that's a great overview and sharing a lot of things so real time josh because i know real time games can sometimes stress some players out a lot um Mm -hmm. is there like a pause mechanic at all with the real time aspects for like oh we got to figure out what this card is again
1: so The game comes with a, just a sand timer. Okay. Um, And so in that respect, not really. Now there is an app that the game came with. It's free to download and it's really just a two minute timer. You could just set a two minute timer. So in theory, yes, you could just set a two minute timer, press pause on that timer and say, okay, I have a question about this tile and now let's go back into it and not have too many issues. Okay. Um I didn't have too many issues with it. Um uh, my wife struggled with remembering some of those things uh as they came out and um you know, we probably would have benefited from having a pause situation, but at the end of the day, you have 2 minutes to do it yeah. and then you're done and you're on to the next one. And if you don't score well in one, it's not really a make-or-break situation. You can That's come good. back in your next um, era,
0: uh, next year, and, and do better. So. Okay. So it really doesn't impact you that long at all. No, no. Yeah, and, and,
1: and I'd say the game in total probably plays in about 30 to 40 minutes.
0: Oh, um, perfect.
1: Not super. I mean, you're playing five rounds. Each round is two minutes. Um, the longest part of the game is really figuring out what tiles you're going to buy. And as long as people are kind of on top of their stuff, it, it goes pretty quickly. So even if you're not someone who um, really does well with real-time games, um, I think you could pretty pick this up pretty well
0: um, okay. and, and move pretty smoothly through it. Yeah, because it sounds like with that buying tiles aspect or picking tiles um, that it kind of builds in, the thought process behind some of the stuff. So it gives you the time that you're not under the clock to do that. So that sounds really cool. So that's sorcerer city by Druid city games, right? Yep. Okay. So I got to play, um, a couple games of horrified, um, which is published by Ravensburger. Um, this is a newer game and it's a cooperative style game. So you talked about a real time game. I'm talking about a co-op. And so Horrified is a game in which you are all little heroes, but you're really like a regular villager in this town and the town's being infected or affected by multiple old school Hollywood monsters. So Dracula, Creature from the Black Lagoon, um Frankenstein and Frankenstein's Bride, the mummy, etc. And so You So how the game works is you go clockwise around the table where a person takes their turn, which typically a player has about four actions. They can move. They can help move a villager around because villagers will spawn on the board. And if you get them to their right location, you get some extra bonuses. Uh, But what you're trying to do is every single of the monsters, every single one of them has their own little sheet on the side that says what you need to do in the town to weaken the monster and then you can go fight the monster so until you weaken them so for dracula you had to destroy all four coffins which are on the four corners of the board and then you could go fight dracula directly and you do that by picking up little tiles um little essentially weapons um from different places that are going to spawn so you you would take a turn and then the monsters would all take a turn by drawing a card and certain monsters will activate based on the card and then the next player will take their actions and so the first game we lost pretty bad. Um, but then we did again and we put out some new monsters and once we had figured out those mechanics, we were able to actually plan things out and do things in an effective way and won pretty well, um, still close, still tight, um, uh, because the monster deck, when it runs out, that's what will end the game or it's when the heroes defeat all the monsters on the board. So it was really fun. Um, and it's a cheaper game too, cause you can buy it like target. Um, so I'd recommend it, especially if you like some old-school like horror movie monsters. Um, The art's really cool, too. It's kind of pulling from all those old posters.
1: Yeah, Bruce, I didn't really know much about this game uh, until you just started talking about it. And looking over it, it it looks pretty interesting. I'm generally not much of a co-op player, but the mechanics sound pretty good. Being that this is one of those kind of target um, games. Yeah. Is it, does it have a lot of depth and complexity to it or or is it really more of a family style game?
0: I would say just above family because some of the monsters are a little bit more complex and Mm -hmm. you have to think holistically as a team. And so, yes, if you have, if you want to do it with your family, you probably could just be selective in the monsters Um, but then also you might need to help coach them through. And so going back to where we started this episode and talking about some of the, um, things I'm taking away from the book, it really, because it's a co-op, you're wanting to balance that line of being an alpha. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, especially when it's you someone takes a turn monsters go someone takes a turn monsters go there's pressure there and so you just kind of gotta let them be thematic now I thought it was really cool I had a, we had a lot of fun with it so I played it with my wife and also another couple um, that we went over there for dinner and they put their like one-year-old to bed and then we played um, and we were able to play it twice in a night which isn't usually the case for a lot of games that I felt then empowered about afterwards if that makes sense Um, like I felt like we did something, so that was cool. And it created some fun storytelling of like that time when my wife went into the mummy's tomb and moved these little scarabs around to unlock the mummy's like curse. It's kind of cool.
1: All right. Well, that's awesome. I'll have to give that one a check. So that was horrified by Ravensburg.
0: Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Ravensburger. Um, I will say, watch out for, um, the invisible man. He can sneak up on you and uh, take away all of your things. And watch out for Dracula. He just likes to find himself in your space or summon you to his space and then hurt you. Um, so watch out for that if you're playing the game. That's what got <laughs> us in the end. Creature so, from the Black Gloom, pretty easy. Yeah, what's something yeah. you've been playing?
1: So the next game that I wanted to, to mention here is one that I played a couple weeks ago and um, really had a phenomenal time with it. So this is also a newer game, and that is... Paladins of the West Kingdom Uh, so this is put out by Renegade Games and this is a game that is in that West Kingdom series so I know that there was um I know Viscounts of the West Kingdoms Mm -hmm. is is currently on Kickstarter as we record um got Architects Architects was the, the first one in that series. And so this is a really interesting um, take on a worker placement style game. Um, so you are... Um, rather than each player having a different color meeple as their worker, instead you have all of these different colored meeples that are different types of workers. And uh, you will... Um, get at the beginning of each round, you will have a combination of um, cards that you will choose. One will be the paladin that you are working with for that round, um, which will give you some uh, specific workers. And then you will have, you will choose from um, a card that will set out um, the different types of workers that you have. And so from there you are playing on your player board in placing these types of workers, and certain colored workers can only work in certain types of areas. Um, and then some areas can you can use any colored worker for. Um, and so, for example, you have a hunter area of your board and you can send any worker to that hunter area and you'll get one food. Hmm. Or you can send any colored worker and a green colored worker and you'll get
0: three food. There's some layers here.
1: Yeah, so there's a lot that goes into this. Um, Really, really interesting decision making um, as you're going through it. So um, I highly, highly recommend this game. Um, I I played the first set of... Uh, our series of games that were made by the same designer and publisher um, that were the North Sea series. Yeah. Raiders,
0: um, I, Explorers, and Shipwrights.
1: Yeah. Um, so I actually played Shipwrights, Raiders, and then the only time I played Explorers, I actually played with the saga. So with all three of them. Oh. Um, and enjoyed it. They were good, they were unique interesting ideas in terms of um, taking this worker placement mechanic and twisting it on its head a little bit, giving some uniqueness and revitalizing a, a, a mechanism that has been used in a lot of games, but putting their own kind of unique twist on them. Cool. I think the West kingdom series has really just kind of taken that and to the whole new level. Um, I think that they've done just a phenomenal job.
0: So. Sounds sounds pretty cool. It sounds like it's got the layers like the other ones have had, um, especially Architects. Um, essentially, like you had the Raider series, which essentially each of them was its own mechanic. And mm-hmm. so this now new trilogy has been, in my opinion, just kind of the layering. And hearing you talk about it has been like the layering of all of it. Uh, of how do we synthesize? Multiple mechanics into this game, which is cool, um, and Viscounts looks cool too. Um, so I've definitely been looking at that on Kickstarter. Good job um, uh, with Shem and all of them for making these awesome games.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: So since you went heavier, I'll also go heavier. Um, so I have been addicted since BGG Con to this game. Okay. Yeah. So it is age of steam, uh, specifically the deluxe edition from Eagle Griffin, um, originally put out by Martin Wallace. Um, this has art by Ian O'Toole. Yeah. Um, this game kind of called to me in the BGG library. I picked it up. I'm like, this thing's heavy as heck. Um, cause it has like all these different maps in it, but age of steam is essentially it's a, it's a, it's a train game in which you're playing, you are a train baron and you're planting different train tracks down and you're trying to run goods across different train tracks, hopefully your own to increase your own income and your income at the end of the game uh, is essentially your victory points and whatever money you have left over is not worth anything. Good for you though. Um, That being said, it is super, super tight um, and punishing in that, you need to issue shares of your company because you typically want to end a round because you got to take in income and then pay for all of your things. You have expenses. Um, You want to end the round with zero to $4 and then issue more shares and then you build things and then hopefully you're within that window again because that means you are efficient at giving out things, uh, taking in shares and then also doing other things. But it's, it's interesting because when you put a train track down between two cities or towns, then it's there for the rest of the game. And so all of a sudden you've got this tighter and tighter and tighter board where people are then trying to weave and make little labyrinths of train track to try and get their rails all around the board. Um, so it's really cool. There's a bunch of maps for this cause I think the original game came out in like 2002. This is the deluxe uh, reprint. Yeah. So, sure. and I know you've played some Martin Wallace things. Um, it's really fun. Um, so we, I played the, I introduced the Rust Belt map, um, which is the basic introductory map, um, to a group of six players. Which, by the way, this game is punishing, like I mentioned, and you can go bankrupt in round one and you're out of the game. Oof. Yeah. So it does have that kind of player elimination. I stressed it really hard and walked people through it. Um, that being said, in round three, we had a player that it was Derek. Okay. <laughs> it was Derek. Um, he was off by a couple dollars and, um, sadly did go bankrupt. And then, and I felt really bad about that. And, um, it honestly had me thinking for the next day of what could I have done differently as the essentially game master for that experience to have altered the rules to retcon some things since it wasn't a learning game. Um, so I would recommend, If that were to come up for you, issue a share later, right? Um, Just give it to them later in the round that one time. Um, But since then, I've actually done some stuff and watched about the French map because there's a whole bunch of maps for this. The French map, a player cannot go bankrupt. So if you are introducing this to new players or want to play it with a big group, six players, ideally, um, play on the French map. That's going to be a good place to start. Uh, That being said, the other players, though, wanted to play it immediately again after playing it a game day and so then we played the Germany map and it was a lot of fun very different it has some new interesting mechanics um, and then I've personally been playing the solo board of Barbados hmm. yeah
1: so Bruce let me ask you yeah. um
0: I know there was a lot
1: with no that's I, I think that's great and I I've been really interested in this game for a while because I I adore martin wallace i think he does some really great things now um he's one of those designers that has such a diverse skill set mm-hmm. that he, he has some home runs and he has some misses yep. um and you know definitely from the rankings and the ratings and what i've just heard about this game is that this is one of the better ones that he's put out my question for you is have you played Railways of the World? And if so, can you give some comparison?
0: I haven't. So I was, so, I was at game day the other day with George. And sure. George has Railways of the World. Um, and he's he has played that, owns it. We're going to play it very soon. So I will be able to talk about it soon. But he did say this. And he said, this is essentially Age of Steam, but a little bit more friendly.
1: And that was that was what I was going to the point that I was going to make is um, it's good to hear it
0: validated from you, though.
1: Yeah. And I've never played Age of Steam, um, but everything that I've seen and I've having had a chance to play Railways of the World and listening to you talk about Age of Steam, it sounds like a very similar game, just not quite so punishing, Um, which for some people may be a bonus and for some people maybe a detriment. Yeah, um you know, it can I be really both. I really love a really punishing game most of the time. <laughs> um yeah. There are exceptions to that, but um so I'd love to give this a shot sometime Bruce. I think this is a great thing and like you said there are over a dozen maps I think. There are. Um, there are. And I'm actually
0: are, buying three more. Yeah, like it's in my cart with Eagle Griffin as we speak
1: so many, so many options here um, that you can just replay this. Yeah, as many times as there are maps and and have a new experience. So I would love to give this a shot.
0: Absolutely. And I look forward to playing it with you. And so each map does add their own flair. So like on the Germany map, like Germans all about efficiency, right? So like you couldn't have an incomplete incomplete rail at the end of your turn. You had to complete a connection between a city and a town or a city and a city. Which makes sense. Like, yeah, if you're going to build something, yeah. you finish it, you finish your job. Um, other ones, like there is the southern US map that it takes place during the Civil War. And like at round five, the price of things goes up because there's not as much rail, the uh, money, uh, or the, there's not as much metal to go towards rail. Hmm. So it's cool. It's interesting. Um, So definitely I'll take this one out for with you. Um, I think we got time for a quick one each. Um, So talk about one more game, Josh.
1: Sure. So if we're going quick, I don't know of a better game. to talk about Century Spice Road by Plan B. Um, This is another game that has a million... um, copy or editions. there's the golem edition and there's um i'm, I'm gonna blank on all the other ones You're but a uh, century spice road if you've never played it before um this is a little bit of an engine builder so on your turn you have really three op four options of what you can do um you have a hand of cards that will get you resources or will upgrade your resources so you have I don't know what all the spices are, technically, it's but like you have cinnamon
0: sp- and saffron, and yeah.
1: you have yellow, red, green, and brown <laughs> cubes. Yes. Um, and so they go up in in that order, starting with yellow, ending with brown being the most valuable. And you can either just play a card out of your hand that allows you to take those cubes, or you there are other cards that will allow you to trade the cubes that you have. For new ones. So you can trade two yellow for a red, or you can trade a red for a green and two yellows. Um, It just kind of depends on what you get. And so you can either pick up a card to add to your hand, Mm -hmm. Uh, you can play a card from your hand to get the cubes, you can spend cubes to buy a. Um a mission or a rewards card. Yep. Um, and then the last action you can do is if you don't have anything else, you can just pick up your the cards that you've played and restock your hand.
0: And the kicker is you get to do one of those things on your turn.
1: One of those things per turn. So it becomes very much a race on a yeah. lot of these things. So you'll look around the board and you'll actually see like, oh you're only one cube away from the card that I wanted. So now I have to like, you're going to get there before I will. So now I have to shift my strategy and play something different or, or find a way to get that card before you somehow, Uh, just really, really neat little engine builder game ends after one person has five or six cards, depending Mm -hmm. on player count. Um, We played this at the end of the night last night, actually, Um, you know, nice, quick, 20 minute game that uh, kind of close out everything as we were waiting for folks to finish up a longer game and really, really good. I I've, It's been a while since I've played this one and I just kind of forgot how good of a game this really is. So um, Bruce, any thoughts on Century Spice Roads?
0: Yeah, Caitlin and I have played it. Um, we played it when we were over with um, George at his house and we both really enjoyed it. Um, people make this Correlation a lot, and that is it's pretty much a revamped and re-implemented Splendor with resources to then yes. pull from a little bit better. Um, my thing is about it. I like I like this a lot more, especially because you can kind of layer your actions from turn to turn once you get your cards. So you essentially, you're building a, an engine in your hand, um, which I thought was cool.
1: I yeah, the comparison is apt. It makes perfect sense my opinion this is a substantial improvement upon the game mechanisms in splendor not that splendor is a bad game no um but it's a little light yep um the strategies are pretty straightforward you really only have one or two to choose from yep um century spice roads there are a lot of different ways you could go about it um right we depending on what cards are available and how you choose them and how you build your engine. Um, there's a lot of variability that Splendor just kind of lacks.
0: And there's enough cards in it that you can't guarantee you're going to see a card. Yeah. Yeah.
1: You, you can't plan for a future round. Um, you really can only build off of what you have in front of you.
0: Yeah. So we liked it. Um, it's not a game we have in our collection, um, but it's a game that Caitlin and I are like, you know what? If we go to a game cafe, that's a game we'll gladly play. Um, yeah, absolutely. Simple, have it with a meal or just have it. Um, I will say if you can play it with, a, with the uh, player mat, it's so mm-hmm. much better. It yeah. Just, yeah. It's just really cool. So that was Century Spice Road by Plan B. Um, check that out. Uh, it's the same. By the way, if you see Century Spice Road Golem Edition, it's the same game. Um. So just yeah. look for whichever one you like. Um, so I've got a very light one that is I'm, I'm probably going to butcher this name, Josh, and I apologize. <laughs> but it sure, is. Sure, let's,
1: let's give it a shot, Bruce.
0: Yeah, um, Hule Doc Mao Mao with an exclamation point in there in the middle. Uh, so if you want to see how this game is spelled, look at the show notes. It's going to have it listed. But Hule Doc Mao Mau is a simple card game in which depending on player count, you remove a certain number of cards from your deck. Um, and there is a, you deal each player uh, one card face up, and then you have a, the deck in the middle, and then you give um, a couple cards to each player. And on your turn, you do one of two things. You either play a card on your pile or play a card on one of your neighbor's piles. Now, here's how you know what you have to do if you um so what you're trying to do in the game is have the most points at the end of the game the cards are numbered one through seven and they are all different types of animated onions (laughs) you've heard that right animated onions so like there's the green onion there's the pearl onions there's the white onion there's the red onion Um, but they're all numbered one through seven it's the same distribution but again you pull out some cards depending on player count if so let's say you have all red cards in your hand And the player to your right has a red card face up. Well, guess what you have to play. If you're going to play a card face up, you have to play it onto your player on your rights pile. You're giving them points. So you have to look, okay, can I play it in front of me or do I play, need to play it on the players to the side of me? And if you don't want if you want to deny them points, you can turn the card over to the, um, it's like I got a gray decaying onion and you put that face down on your pile. Now here's the kicker. I told you there's one numbers one through seven. At the end of the game, you're going to look how many gray, uh, face down ones do I have in my deck? If you have, three face down cards, all of the number three cards that you have, you don't get points for. Hmm. If you have four of them, you don't get points for all of your fours. If you have eight of them, you don't get points for your sevens or your ones. So it's interesting because by you playing one face down allows you to deny other people points, but you're also denying if it's your first card face down. Well, hopefully you don't have a bunch of ones in your deck. So it's, it's an interesting thing and you play until the deck runs out. It was actually a lot, super, a lot of fun. Um, I know it's kind of weird to hear the instructions as I'm talking about it a little bit, but after you play your card, you draw a card. When the deck runs out, you're done. Um, it's interesting though, because it's onion based, they actually included a Kleenex in the game box. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. That's I, I'd recommend it.
1: Um yeah, I'm looking at it here. Um
0: You see what I'm talking about looks, with the different art?
1: Yeah. And and you know, it's got some definitely some cute, fun little little art designs and um it's this for some reason looks very familiar and I don't know why the one know why artwork looks very familiar. Why is that?
0: Well, we akin this actually to a upgraded and streamlined Bonanza.
1: You know, I agree. The artwork doesn't remind me of Bonanza, but I definitely get that feel looking at it. Yeah. Um, it's an interesting, I, 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 Definitely be willing to give this a shot. It's light enough, um, little family game. Always looking for games that I can play with my nephews.
0: This would be um, perfect. So
1: this seems like something that's right up the alley for that. Um, yep. Definitely gonna have to give this a shot.
0: Yeah, you just got to get it from Germany right now, and I don't know when it's coming to the states. But it was a lot of fun. Uh, but it is available out there. So that's Huel Doc mau mau Again, if you want to see the spelling on that, look in the show notes. Um, so. We're going to bring this episode to a close listeners, Um, but Josh and I have been talking a lot lately and we want to get back to some of the deep dives and things like that. We were talking about that a couple episodes back. And so next episode is actually going to be a deep dive into brass. Now, brass being brass Lancashire and brass Birmingham, which Josh and I have a copy of independently. So I have Lancashire, Josh has Birmingham because we bought them together and we then parted ways. Um, So it's going to be interesting with that. And then we're also going to be bringing out some episodes after that where we're focusing back in on educational components. And so really looking forward to what's going to be coming up. Josh, do you want to talk into that at all? And then also kind of close out the show?
1: Sure. So I, I'm really looking forward to this brass is a, a deep dive that Bruce and I have been talking about pretty much since I joined the show. Yeah. Um, yeah. and you know, I, I'm really looking forward to getting in and really going deep on a game that really deserves it. Um, I think, you know, we'll, we'll go into kind of why that is in the next episode, but really talking about and, and refocusing this back into um, kind of the mission statement that Bruce goes over at the top of the show of infusing our interest and our focus in education into this hobby and and really exploring the impact that these games have on our tables and in our lives. And, you know, I think that, that I love talking about the games that we're playing and the impact that they're having on us and those types of things, but really diving deep and, and focusing in on that educate those educational components, I think, are, are really exciting for me. I'm looking forward to it and I'm hoping that we can um, bring uh, some content to the listeners that um, is really rewarding and different from all of the other board game podcasts that are out there. Um, and, and on that note, we know that there are dozens of, upon dozens of options for you to listen to for, for getting content related to board games. And I, I really do, from the bottom of my heart, thank you all for joining us um, on these brief conversations about um, the games that we're playing and, and the impact that, that they're having on our groups and hopefully um, as you listen to this. It has a positive impact in your life and on the games that you and your game groups are playing as well.